0: Welcome to this episode of What Else? My guest is a gentleman known as the Gold Master, Mr. Ken Simon. Uh, And I interviewed him outdoors on the deck in Uptown, so you'll hear some ambient sound in this episode. Um, I'm going to split it into two parts to make it a little more digestible time-wise. We had a great discussion about Passage of time and music and the outdoors and all kinds of other things, so I think you'll enjoy listening to the Goldmaster talk about these topics. I'd like to thank our sponsor Basecamp Basecamp. When you use Basecamp to run projects, people know what to do, people know where things are, and you stay on top of everything all the time. Check it out Basecamp. I'd also like to thank our friends at the Chicago Podcast Cooperative, especially with Claire, um, for hooking up the sponsorships and making everything possible. You can check out some of the other shows uh, if you go to visit the dot com. Okay, let's get into it with uh, the Goldmaster.
1: Enjoy. It's the something of September, maybe the twentieth. It's close.
0: Okay, and we're f- we're recording
1: this uh, installation of what else outside on the deck in Uptown, um, and of course my guest today is this the esteemed Goldmaster, Mister Kenneth Simon. Do you have a middle name?
2: John. Okay. Kenneth John Goldmaster. <laughs> Goldmaster, one word. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Um,
1: and uh, we're going to talk about. About different stuff. Uh, thanks for coming. I'm be, delighted to be here. the thing, it's my pleasure to have you here. Thank you. Um, so what else? Yeah, let's talk about stuff. So, just to give a quick background, uh, you and I have been friends for a long time now—fifteen plus years. Yes. And worked together and stuff. Played music together and things. Wow, we'll fifteen years. Yeah. Talk to me a little about that, like. So you're how old now? I will be 46 okay. in a month. All right, So you're getting in the zone. Um, how do you feel different about the passage of time than, like, do you feel it differently
2: than you used to? Absolutely. Oh my gosh. I think about, I think once I turned 40, I don't think there was a midlife crisis, but My kids were of school age. I'm in the house and the burbs. And I would say maybe the biggest difference is that I really notice everything. Notice everything in a way that I hope I can appreciate it. Meaning moments with my friends, moments with the kids, moments with my wife. It's more about that by... A hundred pounds than it ever was before mm-hmm. you think you're you're paying attention more is that what i 'm getting I'm paying attention more, and it affects me more yeah, okay. I find that even little things elicit almost um unequal emotions that I know happens to people when they get older, right, but when i 'm watching something on t v that is that should not emote anything, and all of a sudden i'm welling up about it. I notice that that is largely a function of age
1: do you were you because oh, you, you're a thoughtful thinking sensitive person. do you think you were always predisposed to that, or is it different, or did you have a different orientation to things when you were like in your twenties or something?
2: I think i've always been a thoughtful person right maybe not always to others but thinking a think just a thinking kind of guy um to a point where sometimes that is not good and you find that in that sense there's an anxiety reaction to a lot of things that shouldn't happen i think as i've aged um i'm thinking i'm thinking about things that i didn't expect like retirement for example like what does that mean I'm thinking about what happens when there's an empty nest and I'm thinking about late stage stuff that is coupled with emotions that I'm not all that used to Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I have a, a
1: little bit of a working hypothesis that there's a lot of people have a I don't know, it's that certain the bravado of youth or whatever, and you have a kind of a shell or a persona or something that you project when you're younger, maybe in your 20s. And that the kinds of things that you're talking about that would not only touch you emotionally, but that you would be willing to reveal your reaction to maybe were the kinds of things that some people would would mock at a certain age and then it turns around when they get to another stage of life and now they are that person that they were mocking in a way.
2: Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I think about from say middle of high school through my mid, let's just say to my late twenties, I was really interested in doing well In school, but I was also really interested in doing sometimes self-destructive things, and it was not easy to get get on the off ramp from that. And it still, I love having a great time, but it is not as reckless as it used to be. Interesting, and. And, I, and I'll and even take it further. I mean, I do think that, you know, my parents had a, a rough divorce in the middle of high school, right? When you're just finding yourself and right. testing some things in life. And then all of a sudden, this huge breakup happens. And if you asked me then, I would have said, oh, no, this hasn't bothered me at all but i look back and oh my gosh things definitely went off the rails for a while but i kept it together let's talk about that for a second do you think
1: i want to understand your answer there do you feel like at the time you actually didn't realize that it was affecting like, like your honest answer would have been it's not affecting me or would that
2: have been a, a, a my honest or answer would have been it affects me because i am I'm sad about it, right? And then, at, then it's like I'm going to go into survival mode. And part of survival was eking out every fun moment I could out of a day no matter the cost, right? So if it's... Maybe cutting a class or two in high school. Maybe if it's not coming home on time because you're having a good time, and then maybe staying out all night, or I'm going to get as much as I can out of this. And I would have said that is not related. Okay. Okay. To this pain. I know very clearly that it was. And it's, I'm glad I'm able to see it that way.
0: Yeah.
1: So when you talk about like destructive behavior, what are you talking about? Like drinking too much booze, or
2: yeah, it's it's drinking too much at the t- as a younger guy. Um, you know things that I've learned quite a bit, like staying over at my friends' houses for days at a time. Uh, when I was a senior in high school, actually, I moved back. I moved back to New York from here. I lived in Wilmette right uh through my junior year you lived in Wilmet up
1: through junior yeah break that time yeah right i don't want to i don't want to bore you but no, okay. i moved
2: to Wilmet as a freshman okay in high school from pleasantville new york yeah walked into new chair high school didn't know what what was going on yeah and, the, and my you know i had did not know that my parents were having this thing uh as a junior after or in the middle of their divorce i've moved back to pleasantville into my best friend's house and lived my senior year back in Pleasantville while my parents were, we're here. here, okay. And that's where all hell broke loose. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine that would be... Uh... <laughs> A sort of homecoming, uh, yet I was 17 and had nothing but energy and interest in all the things that 17-year-olds do, but without regard for authority. And would unfortunately take advantage of the situation including the great people who took me in and putting them through all kinds of hell meaning I disappear for days you know I'm cutting school and they're calling home and talking to my friend's mom I mean this is this is not good behavior so that's what I mean by destructive all just letting it come apart and then keeping it together enough to get through it.
1: I imagine you have a different perspective reflecting on that now, now that you have kids and stuff. Imagine what that family's experience was trying to
2: take you in. Yes. To like I remember it's a great thought. So I am, I spent a long time, uh, talking to them after college and apologizing and basically saying, look, I, I realize what happened. Um, and it was, as I look at it now, just unintentional. Like it was just me having lost a bit of control. And these people are amazing. And they, you know, they all came to my wedding and they told me officially to stop talking about it. They are the salt of the earth human beings, and I'm still friends with all of them, especially my best friend in New York, who we stopped talking for a long time. because. Which cat is this? This is my buddy Aldo. Okay. Aldo Beluzzi. And he is is still one of my best friends and someone who um, had put up with a lot. Because I was a handful, and he didn't like me being a handful for his mom. Sure, that makes sense. So I have reconciled, and I am still friends with all of those guys. Um, but as, an, as a parent and as an adult, I absolutely appreciate beyond words what it means to be in a, a, a good home. Mm-hmm. how important that is for the kids. Mm-hmm. Good meaning respectful and stay together, keep the parents, you know, the parents together no matter what. hmm No matter what I realize is that's more of uh, on the surface, right? I mean, yeah. while there is respect, people can get through anything in my general opinion. And I understand how critical it is for for kids to to have two parents in the home if if you can help it. Do you know how
1: the deal was reached for you to go and stay with with those <laughs> guys? I
2: I do, and I remember uh, my brother set the precedent. Okay, we moved to Wilmette. You have you have two brothers. I have an older brother and a younger brother. Okay. Yes. And what's the age difference? Uh, my older brother is about two years older. and My younger brother is about eight years younger. Okay. My older brother never moved out here. When we moved to Wilmette, because he was going into his senior year. Okay. And he stayed with a family. Mm. So I had this different family. Correct. Okay. On the same street, interestingly, this okay. was like, you know, the vagabond. Lane, essentially, that they were taking people in, yeah, right. <laughs> apparently. Um, so he he set the tone, and the family he stayed with had to take guardianship. So when I was a junior and not really liking the situation at home anymore, I remember I was working at Northwestern as like a a facilities assistant day manager. Um, I remember calling my friend and saying, what do you think about this? Oh, so you cut the deal. I asked him, and he said, oh, man, this would be great. Let's get together. Let me put my mom on the phone. <laughs> 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 and the wheels just got turning very quickly. And before you know it, the, an administrator who happened to be the basketball coach at Pleasantville High School and I get on the phone and talk. And, you know, he was a very decent human being, but he also maybe thought, because I, I know my way around the court, as they say, maybe there was some interest there, but he was a very decent human being and helped me figure this out. Yeah.
1: And then what was the negotiation or whatever like with your parents to say, like, did you just come to dinner? I'm like, listen, you guys.
2: Well, they, they weren't living in the same home anymore. Okay. Um I talked to my dad first who You were living with who? I was living with my mom. Okay. And my younger brother. And And I asked my father first, and we were very close, and he said I I support it. There's really no reason that I, I think it's a bad idea. Um there was all kinds of discussions, but you know, my mom did not like the idea. And she said that she wanted me to talk to a professional about it. And if that person thought it was okay, then she would buy in. Mm -hmm. So I did that and got the thumbs up. And it was just odd. I mean, packing my bags as a junior and moving to Pleasantville a week before school started as a senior. And my friends freaked out and we had the big party. And that was like a harbinger. Harbinger? Of what was to come, because it was almost a two-day affair. (laughs) And
1: (laughs) (laughs) did you, do you remember how you felt? Like, were you
2: excited to go back? Were you sad about leaving? I was so excited. Okay. I was a little bit sad, but I had, I just was not happy being at home. I felt like also I had been a little destructive in where I was with some of my friends that I've learned hard lessons for or from, and I almost, this was like a clean slate with people who knew me back then, and they were excited to see me, and I was back in Pleasantville, like this tiny little town that, uh, with all my best friends, it was profoundly fun and interesting.
1: Do you think you took advantage of that clean slate part that you just mentioned? Like, do you feel like you went into it and you're like, okay, I'm going to make a couple moves here to reinvent myself,
2: or were you just kind of carrying on? I kind of just carried on, Mm -hmm. and i I got right back into the thick of things as if I had never left. Um, I worked after school at a gas station. I decided not to play soccer in, in the fall, which I had always played. Um. And then I geared up for the basketball season, which was great, and just playing in the old gym with all my friends, and I mean it, with the parties afterwards, I mean, it was really at now it was a terrible idea when I think about it, but at the time it was there could have been nothing more more fun or interesting what What do you think was terrible
1: about it when you look back at it now?
2: I really needed more structure. I needed my parents' intervention. Mm-hmm. I, uh, to be on your own at such a in, during such a raw time, and just go with your decisions without yeah. really having anyone involved in them. Right, as a seventeen-year-old kid, it was. It, it just, I was allowed to be destructive.
1: And so, like, you went to college after that, right? That's correct. So how did... I'm thinking just you're talking about decisions that you were making at that time. That's music, like a major one that people make at that age. Whether it's really major or not is a separate discussion. But, like, so how did... Did you just pick on your own? Or That's a great did, question.
2: <laughs> Gosh. I remember... Um, Getting the book, you know, with all the universities, all the colleges, and I was sitting at my friend's home, looking through it by myself, and the whole thing. And I remember going to your guidance counselor at the time, which was this person that you you kind of recognized. You weren't quite sure what their role was, and when I went in to see her after I looked at the book, she said you should think about the State University of New York system, the SUNY system. There was no rigor, right? Mm -hmm. There was nothing involved. Yeah, I get it. Right. Today, by today's standards, this was like, this is cavemen looking for, you know, a place to, to, to go. So I picked a few schools. I literally got on buses and by myself and would go to Binghamton, which was four hours on a bus. And I would... My brother knew someone who was there, so I would like sleep in that guy's room and walk around the campus, but had no agenda. I didn't understand how one vets a school, except talking to that guy and his friends. So I did that with Binghamton, and I I went to Geneseo, um, which is outside of Rochester, and I think I applied to Delaware. And my father, who is an amazing guy. I mean, kept our family together through all this stuff. I mean, we're still really good friends. He was going through a big tumultuous time in his life. Sure. I ended up picking Geneseo and, um, was going to play basketball there, but wasn't ready for a commitment like that. But it was kind of a toss up and I got into a decent school, th- you know, thank goodness. Yeah. But it was shoestring. <laughs> Did you feel
1: apprehension or pressure or fear or something about these decisions or did you just feel like did you feel like you were out of your element or so to speak or did you just feel like oh well I'll just I I have a decision and I need to make it and I'll make it or did you think
2: to yourself like boy I could really use a parent here to make this decision? I it was right in the vein of how I was just living my life which is oh this is being presented it's now spring. I, I need to apply to school. It was never not going to happen. I was a really good student. And it was, although it was back of the napkin, and fairly matter of fact, it was going to happen. So I never thought, oh, I could use a hand. When I look back, like I just can't believe it all happened. Now, my brother, my older brother, and my dad drove me from Chicago to Geneseo on day one, and that was cool, yet I look at how a lot of my friends went through it, and hearing how about the pomp and circumstance and the shopping and all the stuff, I'm like, I think I had a pillowcase. I mean, I'm I'm kind of goofing here, but there was a pillow and a blanket, and a suitcase and 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 a good attitude of just kind of like nothing's going to I'm going to survive like that was my that was it I'm going to survive and it's going to be fine.
1: Do you think that's a thing that's just part of has always been a part of you like are you just an optimistic
2: person who's going to find a way to get that's through a stuff? Good question. I, I am not overly optimistic however like i've told my wife that i mean something really bad has to happen for me to think that there that we're not going to get through it only because i felt like i dealt with that at 17 and 18 and 19 mm-hmm. and it would have to be something like an illness or that would be the only thing i mean the house can burn down cars are on fire no you know no big deal we'll be fine but that's I'm not sure that that's Optimism That's A survival instinct
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah Interesting That has
2: been tested In some ways Yeah that
1: makes sense That's an interesting distinction I'm thinking about that So you're not necessarily I don't want to put words in your mouth But It sounds like you're not necessarily a person Who's like When something comes up You're like This is going to go great You're But you're saying that you definitely are a person who's going to say,
2: I'll get through it however it goes. Generally speaking, yes. I think the byproduct of a lot of this is, um, although it doesn't come across, or maybe it does, that I am definitely an anxious person, that I try to employ various methods to, to ease it, like mostly exercise, is the antidote. Um, I don't know where it all comes from, but with these things that happen in life, it produces a fair amount of anxiety that I manage, and it's not debilitating, but it's there, Uh, like a lot of us. Yes, and so you you mentioned that Exercise, physical activity is maybe your primary way of Most processing. definitely. Most definitely. Um, the running, it used to be running, and now it's cycling because I can't run anymore. Mm-hmm.
1: What do you think the chicken and egg is there? Because you've, since you were a kid, you've been pretty involved in athletic stuff, right? You're a sort of a kinetic person and interested in physical activity as well as team sports and stuff. Mm-hmm. Do you think that you were drawn to that as a way to process stuff or that you had that and then you realized like, hey, if I have anxiety, I can go to this thing that I'm already into and that's a way for me to work out?
2: Great question. I think I just loved sports like a lot of kids. I mean, to the point where, and this a side note, but my dad, I mentioned, he's just a, he's a great guy. We lived in Pleasantville and he knew that I loved basketball. And I would be the only kid to walk literally the two miles in the middle of winter and just so I could shoot at the park. There was no park near us. Not every kid had a, had a, had a full basketball court on their property like they do. So he said, all right, we're going to just put one up in the, on the lawn. I'm like, well, where's the cement going to be? And he's like, well, there is no cement. You're going to play on it so much that the the grass will just kind of turn. It'll get really, really hard. I'm like, yeah, but everyone's going to laugh at that. <laughs> and I didn't believe him. And of course, he puts this thing up, and I am out there in the middle of winter shoveling it out and working on my shots because I just, I just loved it. And I loved soccer, and I loved the, the floor hockey. I loved the camaraderie. And it got it, all of the great things about sports were present and used. But not noticeably for anxiety management. Sure. Not until I got older.
1: Mm-hmm. When you talk about the things you liked about it, okay, I know some people like the. It sounds like you liked a lot of facets of sports. So I know there's some people who don't like the team competition, but they like the deployment of physical skills right or the the ability to utilize their hand-eye coordination or their strength or their speed or whatever it is um but they don't particularly like other people or the way Mm -hmm. you have to deal with other people or and then some people i think like the the aggression and the clashing whatever maybe more so than the strategy or the finer points of the skills and stuff like did you was there a ranking for you in terms of what you like about it
2: Uh, i because you're involved in a bunch of different sports over the years yes and i would say the camaraderie was a big big deal and i played on some teams where i'm friends with almost the entire team still like our soccer team at new trier was like we went to the state finals and lost I mean, and I'm and the camaraderie with those guys was intense and and still remains really, really good as as the mechanics and the other facets outside of camaraderie, I loved losing myself in the game and being really aggressive, not to the point of overly aggressive, but fighting to win and I was just a different person out there. It felt great. It felt really good. And it also felt really bad when you didn't perform the way you wanted to. So I think... in the other part, too, which is preparation. I absolutely loved it. And I loved the practices. And I loved the exhaustion... And I would be juggling soccer balls in my backyard for two hours and then play, you know, one on one basketball that same day with a neighbor. Couldn't get enough.
1: So, do you think that the things you're talking about there, I'm wondering if they relate a little bit to your. So, for people who are listening, you also play the drums. Mm. Um, do you think there's a a connection there between
2: the physicality of those well uh, that's a great question and i the answer may not be obvious but the answer is yes because i am not that good a drummer but it's because of that i think i'm a decent athlete that i can get through it because of because I'm not I wasn't a naturally a natural born drummer like so for example what a drummer really needs is a sense of time I don't have a great sense of time but I love the drums it doesn't make sense
1: well, I think that it's a different approach, but yeah. But it would saying. be nice I
2: if I had right. Exactly. I mean and I think yes. my attraction to drums is not necessarily related to my interest in athletics. Okay. Um it certainly helped. Just get through getting by. Um it was really more about how how I just loved music. I just loved it. And how it made you feel and maybe like athletics where you are engrossed even in just the listening. Yeah. Okay. That's powerful. And I maybe three quarters of the world would agree that it, that being engrossed like that is it with music is pretty great. Yeah. I, I if not, I more. agree a hundred percent of us on the, uh,
1: correct on the deck agree. Um, Talk about that a little bit Like would you remember When you first Kind of Really got into Like listening to music And or Started to play Or wanted to play
2: I remember I think it all Like my dad would play A lot of music In the house My parents played music In the house A lot of uh, Like Neil Diamond The Bee Gees Kenny Rogers Like there was like A two year period Where the Kenny Rogers Just wouldn't stop And It was uh, Very depressing <laughs> Um, but the Neil Diamond stuff the Bee Gees he would play the best of the doors I know okay. that, that, that yeah. <laughs> that's an issue here Um, and I found I just saw how people reacted to it and I liked a lot of it and then I think where it all came together was in middle school with my older brother with the Columbia House records that showed up and all my friends that before school we would get together and this is just a a great memory we before school we would get together and we'd be playing dodgeball in this cage and someone would be every day would bring the box with the tapes and I remember just loving like early Van Halen the kinks just great straightforward rock that was loud and awesome mm-hmm. and on the Columbia House stuff we, we've talked about this where you open that package, and I'll never forget it. It was it was Boston, it was Foreigner, it was Pat Benatar, Cheap Trick, Men at Work, uh, REO Speedwagon, Moving Pictures. Now this is the soundtrack of our lives, as they say. But when you actually listen to the deep cuts on a Pat Benatar album, and my brother loved her, that today gets you going, and that's where it all came together. And of course I'm listening to cheap trick and bunny Carlos on the drums and dream police and trying to think about how on earth I can get involved in that. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That's interesting. So you heard the stuff and you're like, I want to be part of something that's doing this. That's making music like this.
2: Right. While in fifth grade was the year that I learned the, dr- the rock beat. Right. So I was playing drums At in school. the band, yeah, okay. where I picked up the drums, I think, in third or fourth grade. You play the snare drum or the bass drum. Right, in the school band, right, okay. And then I learned the rock beat with lessons in fifth grade. And then sixth grade is middle school when all this stuff was just, it was a confluence. And it was amazingly cool, but how, and much like anyone who plays an instrument, how do I accelerate this process so I can feel like I'm a part of this. Yeah. Right. That's exactly.
1: Yeah. That makes perfect sense. Okay. So yeah, that it's interesting. So you had start, you were already kind of on the path because you had already taken, been involved in school band and some private lessons. So you were kind of,
2: you were already on the launch pad. I was on the launch pad. Yes. And much like every drummer on the, on the earth, when they listen to moving pictures by rush, you want to quit. You want to hang it up and say, maybe I'll do something else because I couldn't even fathom how it worked. Yeah.
1: To me, seeing or seeing or hearing great performances, right. It does one of two things. Um, it either makes you want to go home right then and just start practicing all night or throw
2: your instrument in the dumpster and just, (laughs) get on with something else <laughs> it's a powerful thing when you realize how far you have to go however in other facets like running or playing basketball i never really wanted to do what michael jordan does i never i i wanted to i wanted to do the best that i can do but like but playing red barchetta with this drum set that is right here to be played it can be played on something like this you want desperately to learn that much like every guitar player sitting on the edge of their bed piecing together something that makes them excited right deep within I want to I want to be a part of that somehow interesting how those sort of superior
1: like excellent performances can be intimidating and demotivating at the same time they can also be inspiring and motivating and I think it's a thing where you're trying to find well it's a, it sounds like you had this with athletics right you didn't see someone who was great at basketball and think "Ah, screw it I'll never be that good you thought all right, let's see what I can do. Mm-hmm. But it sounds like you weren't thinking like, I need to or even necessarily want to be as good as
2: fill in your right. superstar there. But There's this, just such an obvious limitation, I think, in that I, that doesn't translate as well to drums.
1: Interesting, okay.
2: Okay, so I know, I forget Michael Jordan, but say, I don't know, shoot as well as Larry Bird. I, I don't know or someone who can shoot well. Um, Whereas with the drums, only when I got a little older, like really within the last couple years, have I tried to learn a lot of the Led Zeppelin hits. Because I will say for two reasons. One, you just can't learn certain things by listening. You almost have to see it And thank goodness for YouTube, you can see how someone does something. And then two, I took lessons and was able to unpack how one does the, you know, Led Zeppelin's rock and roll outro. How does that work? And you get the mechanics and then you practice it for three years and you say, okay, that's a, that's a facsimile that feels Okay.
1: Yeah, that's very interesting because I think that's a thing that I'm going to make a, a a bad example, but it feels like if you watch someone shoot a basketball and they make it through the net, you're like, okay, I I saw what they did there. You put the, I mean, there are most certainly mechanics and details that you can really unpack, but it seems more obvious what's going on. He he took the ball, he pushed it up with his hand, and it went through the air, and it goes in the net. And I think that sometimes with music stuff it seems like it it can be discouraging if you sit down and you're like, Well, I'll just play this, but you don't even actually know what the mechanics are of how to play the thing. Like there's no way in to getting there and then improving.
2: There what I learned during lessons, which is the reason why I quit (laughs) that there are ways to map out time signature and breaking songs down a little bit more mathematically that as a 40 when i was taking lessons 44 45 year old i'm not doing that right um i and i told the drum teacher look i need you to show me how to do it and let's let, let's escalate this let's move through this quick more quickly because i'm not going to do this tick marking thing that you're te- you're talking to me about i understand the value but it's not going to happen and well, it's, not, not everybody
1: learns that way either. Right. Some people. Well,
2: I'll tell you what. I mean, if I knew if I understood the musicality or, and the, or the math, it would have been very helpful. And and I think about it like there were many times that I could have and this kind of gets back into the life bit, but I could have gone narrow and deep into certain things. And ultimately, just chose not to because then I couldn't do everything. And that, as I've gotten older, I I have made a much shorter list of things that I got to be really good at. But as a younger guy, like there would be there would be a year that I would be playing drums all the time, but not running and not playing basketball, and that would irritate me. So, is there some psychology to this? Certainly. But you look at people who pick one or two things and go narrow with it. Oh, yeah. They... You can see that. And hear it. How
1: do you, um... Approach... So we have some fighter jets apparently <laughs> going over here. I don't understand what these guys are doing. That's a weird plane and a weird flight pattern. Um... And there was another one right in front of him. This is a, that's serious business. Um, this is a question that I think I'm interested in in a, in a general sense in life. Everybody's busy, right? Everybody has a lot of things, work and people and interests and stuff like that. I mean, do you? And it sounds like you've changed your approach over time. I mean, how do, you th- how do you think about that stuff, about how to decide how to spend your time or how to manage
2: it? Yes, I think it's much harder to do when you're single and you have a couple bucks in your pocket and you have nothing but four weekends in a row where you have nothing planned I am grateful that I don't have those kinds of decisions or challenges because the challenge, the decisions I have to make are, are fairly obvious and amazing at, at the same time. So I know I got to be a great dad, right? I have a nine-year-old and a seven-year-old and the time that we spend is really impactful and I'm not saying anything new here, but that's a huge priority. I got to be a a, a very good husband, right? And that means being present in more ways than one. Um, You got to go to work, which I often fight. And I try to keep this anxiety in check through some measure of exercise. Beyond that, right? So I got a drum set two years ago, year and a half ago. It's in the basement. I play probably every other day. Okay, so I... Scratch that itch a little bit, and then there's neighborhood stuff, and and before you know it, um, it's nine thirty, and I'm watching Matlock, ready for bed. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, right. So you're so it sounds like a certain amount of your time or whatever energy is accounted for, and so you have less discretionary spending in that
2: regard. Where am I going to put this ounce of energy? Well, and by the way, it's not, you didn't wake up with this situation, right? This situation unfolds and it's profoundly great in that it does. That in every stage for the kids, every stage, you know, with your marriage, where you live, the people you meet, I mean, it unfolds and... It doesn't just happen. It does take effort.
1: Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Right. And those things are the results of decisions.
0: Right. That was the first section of my interview with the Gold Master. The second part will come out in the next episode of the podcast. What else? I hope you enjoyed it. And I think you'll enjoy the next part where we'll talk about work and the outdoors and other interesting topics so stay tuned and thanks for listening goodbye